We are back with Regenerative Landscapes and our trio team of Dan, Kevin, and myself. And uh, I thought I'd get into an episode of the Plant Adventure Guide. I realize it's hard to even fathom the concept of greenery right now because it's uh, minus 30 outside and covered in snow here. But I thought to give people something to look forward to, I would go into the violet family, the native violets of Alberta, because number one, they're one of the earlier uh, blooming plants in the spring. Like sometimes the, the greenery is coming up even in the snow. Um, so they just, they're going to be one of your, your first ones coming up. And also because they just are a really cool family of plants. I call them the violent violets because uh, a lot of times people think they're, you know, so soft and delicate and everything, but actually uh, in the right environment they're pretty tough and uh dan can tell you from experience uh they do that exploding seed pod thing too which is pretty violent so yeah it also makes it yeah it makes it really hard to collect seed from them so if you are (laughs) considering yeah so if you're considering purchasing seed or plants from somebody keep that in mind as to why it might be more difficult to get some of them or why it might cost what it costs because um the exploding seed makes it a little trickier to catch everything. But yeah, I think actually we have um, a lot more species in Alberta than I originally thought. I think there's about 13 species of violet in Alberta, but I'm probably only going to go into about a half dozen of them. Some of them I'll get into a little more than others just because of how common or not uncommon they are. A lot of them have some of the same general features. Most of them have five petals uh, they're bilaterally symmetrical, which means if you cut them vertically in half, they're the same on both sides. But if you cut them horizontally in half, the top and the bottom are different. And part of that is because the lower petals quite often have these lines uh, that come out from the base of the, uh, the flower petals and a slight different variation in color from the outer lip of the flower to the inside. And that's actually as a beacon, it's a beacon for the pollinators so that they can it's like having a track or a trail so the bees can follow the lines in or the butterflies or whatever, right? So that's kind of cool. Um, and we already mentioned about the exploding seeds. What's interesting is a lot of them actually have larger, more showy flowers, but they've got secondary, more inconspicuous, smaller flowers that are where most of the seed is actually produced. So it's interesting how the plants have developed to have kind of a backup plan and they draw in the pollinators, but they also have this other plan to produce um, seed in, in, in these other flowers. So they've got uh, multiple methods to propagate, as well as a lot of them spread rhizomatically too. So they gradually spread throughout the landscape. I think that's probably most of the common features amongst most violas or violets. Our, I guess our domesticated version would be the pansy or the viola too. Um, so we'll probably, I guess, what's our most common, well-known violet that we have, guys? What you think? Canada violet? Yes. And it's kind of cool that it has the name Canada in it because it is uh, fairly prevalent throughout much of Canada. And um, it's also our largest violet. It's a fairly, it actually can get to be over one foot tall in some optimal situations, three feet and it's, it spreads, again, rhizomatically as well as by seed. Uh, so you can get quite a nice clump of them in an area. Works great in shady areas and moist areas. So if you have some bushes, shrubs, 
trees or whatever, and it's uh, still moist under there, or you're able to water, it's a great ground cover to cover up those naked soil spots. They're found in Alberta almost pretty much province-wide, not really in the southeast corner because it's so dry there and exposed out in the sun, but most everywhere else you can find them. And they have white flowers, sometimes a little bit tinged with purple and yellow centers, and these big heart-shaped leaves uh, that come to a point at the end. So that's one of their big giveaways. So even if you find a baby, it's going to have that big heart shape with a point at the end uh, shaped leaf because sometimes people can confuse the different uh, violets. Um, <clears throat> prefers, of course, like I said, moist open woodland, uh, shadier environments. Uh, pretty much all the violets, you can eat the leaves and the flowers. So a nice addition to salads or desserts or whatever have you because they're kind of make things pretty. Uh, but a lot of times it's recommended not to eat the roots. Why is that? I think because there may be um, certain alkaloids or whatever in them. Where oh, okay. You might, some of them you might, you might get the, um, you know, like that tingling or whatever in your mouth telling you, ding, this is not a good idea. Um, others, it's... Uh, oh, I thought that you, meant you keep eating it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, others, yeah, sure. Others, it's <laughs> like um, you'd have to eat a certain volume of it, which you might not ever get to, but just to be on the safe side, recommending probably don't. A lot of the indigenous uh, groups used uh, various viola roots for different things, but again, they may have been using them in small quantities or in certain areas or whatever. But yeah, the general consensus is the leaves and flowers are fine. The roots might want to stay away from. I don't know if you guys have any stories or anything to add about our Canada violet. Uh, nothing particular. I mean, I like them. They're, I've yeah. never seen them. What? You got to come over because come spring, they'll be <laughs> everywhere. I love them because they're, like I say, they're a great plant to do ground cover in moist, shady areas. And because they're our, our biggest uh, wild violet, they cover a lot of space too. So, but, um, okay. Then we have our, this one's tricky because it has so many common names. A scientific name is Viola adunca, I think that's how you say it. Oh, early blue violet. Yes, but it's also called hookspur violet, dog's violet, and sand violet, and on and on and on it goes. So that's why having the scientific name helps because you'd be calling a lot of things and not know it's the same plant. They're very small compared to the Canada violet. They're only two to four inches tall or four to eight, inch, four to eight inches wide. Primarily, uh, they've got a, they're different than a lot of the other violets because they've got a cluster of basil leaves, which most of them do. But they also grow leaves along their stems as well. So that's a way you can differentiate it between other violets. And the leaves are egg-shaped, generally. I mean, some variation, but generally egg-shaped. The color of the flowers is more of a blue-purple with some purple veining, uh, maybe some white bases in the uh, flowers. And they're, again, they're, they're sprinkled all over Alberta, not in the density that our Can Canada violet is. And there are more in the kind of south central band, so extending out to the east and west edges of the province, but kind of in a more central band. <clears throat> and they can handle uh, a lot more sun and drier conditions than our Canada violet, which is another good thing about these violets. So if you have other soil conditions or sun conditions, you can find a violet that'll fit because we've got quite a variety there. Um, yeah. A violet for everybody. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
this next one is actually pretty cool because it's, I think, only one of two yellow violets. Because most of our violets are either white or the purple-blue thing, right? Is but, it a prairie one? Yellow um, prairie? The, the yellow violet. <laughs> yellow prairie violet, same, yeah. Viola Natale. <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, it's one that you can actually probably go by the color in the name. That'll let you know that's what it is. But um, the other one... There's they, marsh. They look, is there a marsh one? Uh, the marsh oh, no, one. That's not, a, color, that's not a yellow. Yeah. No. Uh, the other one... I'm trying to remember. But anyway, unfortunately, they both look fairly similar. My book earlier. And yeah, unless you have them side by side, it's hard to tell them apart. However, they may occur in slightly different environments too. Uh, like the yellow violet, it um, occurs. It's it's a lot harder to come by. So it only occurs in a few pockets in southern Alberta. Of course, it's got the bright yellow flowers with the purple, uh, purple-brown veining. Uh, mostly basil leaves again, but this, in this case, these ones are more lanceolate and they have short hairs on them. So they're, um, not juicy and smooth. Like the other ones are a little more fuzzy, like some of our, uh, not quite as much as maybe our, uh, Arnica mollus or, um, our, uh, oh, the goldenrod, the, uh, solid eagle. Yeah. The one, uh, the one that's got the fuzzier leaves anyway. It's not quite as much as that, but it does have fuzzier leaves than the other violets, and they're more pointy because they're more lanceolate. It also, I think I said, it occurs on more of the drier prairie in the full sun, uh, similar to the early blue violet, and it's only four inches tall, so another small one. Find the other Sorry, one. Sorry, I'm just trying to. <clears throat> find yeah, I'm still looking one. for it. I'm kind of mad now that I didn't write it down because I came across it earlier, but but anyway, I think maybe the other one. No, no, this one. So then we've got an evergreen violet, which is Viola sem- sempervirens or whatever. Um, it's one of the ones that occurs more in the subalpine to montane woodland and in moist conditions. So it'll be more of just a, a strip along our kind of our Rockies. It's, as the name suggests, it's got evergreen leaves. So they pretty much stay green all through the year. Oh, wait a minute. This is our other yellow one. That is it. Okay, so there you go. So the nice thing about these two is they're both yellow. They look somewhat similar, but the evergreen one is more in the alpine to montane moist woodland areas, and the yellow prairie violet, as the name suggests, is more out in the open in the prairie. So there you go. You probably will not find them in this in the same habitats. So based on the area, you'll be able to identify them. And the evergreen violet's got uh, again basil leaves that are a little more oval shaped, but quite often just laying flat on the ground. And I'm guessing that might be, um, again, helping with that evergreen through the winter factor in those higher elevations, because things that are sticking up are going to freeze quicker. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, that one. And then we've got, um, this one's actually one of our violets that's at risk. Like there's not that many of them around. This is our crowfoot violet. And our crowfoot violet is Viola pedatif. Fida, Fida. I'm I'm not so good with my my Greek, my Latin. I mean, so might as well be Greek. Um. Anyway, they've got a purple flower, and this one's cool because you'll know it when you see it. It's the only one that I know of that's got divided leaves, so it doesn't have the flat round leaves like all the other ones. It's got uh, more divided looks leaves. Like, um, 
Oh, why am I blanking on it? Um, like the uh, uh, the one anemone. anemone or the yeah. uh, or the um, geranium. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and they're three to six inch tall plant. So again, another small one. Open woodlands and prairies. Medium water needs, so it's not going to be found on the dry, dry prairies. But um, it also isn't one of the wetland shady types either necessarily um it'll it will do okay in part shade but uh and the the cool thing about it is it puts up with a lot of different soil conditions so if you have you know whatever kind of soil you have it will probably thrive in that as long as the other conditions are met and then mm-hmm. la no not lastly second to last not that it's any less important um i've got the northern bog violet which i'm actually growing here Boy, it uh, took some to find the seed, and then it took forever to grow them because they're so tiny. But uh, (laughs) as long as they make it through this winter, I've got some northern bog violet. Um, The name suggests that they would live in bogs, but actually they don't. They they like more moist soil, but they don't have to live in an actual bog. They are found in a few different pockets. So there's a northeast pocket up by um, what's the park up there with the buffalo? Wood buffalo. (laughs) Go figure. eh? (laughs) They're found up in that corner. They're found in a central band, which kind of goes through where we are, and then along the mountain range. And that's where they're most prevalent. And they've got uh, violet to light blue flowers, uh, kidney to heart-shaped leaves, and with blunt tips. So if you find juvenile Canada violets, you can tell the difference usually, hopefully, because the uh, the bog violets will not have as a pointed as much of a pointed tip on the end of the leaf. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah, when they're all so tiny, it's really hard to tell a lot of them apart. You always hope, oh, when it flowers, it'll be wonderful. They don't know who you are. Um, and then we have our marsh violet, which generally does live around marshy, moist areas, but in alpine areas. It's kind of interesting, and it's uh, a pale, purpley bluish. Or white, so it can be either or. And then it's got the purple lines. And it's really, really tiny. Generally, the more alpine you get or the more closer to the Arctic Circle you get, things get smaller for some reason. I think it's because they don't like the cold. Anyway, (laughs) um, so they're only like one to three inches tall. Just tiny, tiny little guys. That is small. (laughs) Like, they'd be really cute to have in a fairy garden, I think. But anyway... Yeah, and that's that's probably only a half dozen of the violets that we have, and we probably have another half dozen more. So it just shows you how diverse the family is and that they can live in all kinds of conditions because there's at least one in almost every part of Alberta, and a lot of them overlap as well. So, yeah. so I think that's cool. And And from a landscaping perspective, I just think they're wonderful plants because, again, they come up earlier, so you get some nice, colorful flowers earlier in the season. Um, the flowers and leaves are edible. They are good early season for the pollinators because, you know, these guys, whether they're migrating or they've come out of hibernation, they're going to be hungry, and it gives them some food earlier in the season. And great uh, ground covers. Other than the Canada violet, most of them are fairly small, so you don't have to worry about them overshadowing some other plant. And even with the Canada violets, you can use them as a ground cover in places where you've just got open naked space anyway, and they'll fill it in quite nicely. I don't know if you've got 
anything to add about our lovely violets? No, just like <laughs> I just remember when we were working together, and you know, I think you saw more than me just trying to grow them from seed is a struggle in and itself. <laughs> well, but the big the big thing is is being able to catch that seed, right? And so now we've got yep. some. Now we've got some methods. So, um, unless I just happen to randomly walk by one that's got seed available, um, I actually set them up so that they're overhanging into a, another bin or another pot. And then when they mm -hmm. do their exploding, as long as I've got it set at an angle, it'll catch the seed. And then I'll just, I'll take it from there kind of thing. Because otherwise, yeah, like you can miss so much. Because those things can, sh I don't even know how far they can shoot, but it's, it's like a little gun going off. Those things just fly really far and that's again makes sense because yes. that's how they spread and propagate in the wild but for us it makes it difficult but um i guess the the big thing with them is um some of the propagation methods are a little bit different depending on the species so our canada violet um it goes in my fridge because it can use 120 days of cold moist stratification which is quite a long time because uh when, mm -hmm. when you do stratification with a lot of these plants like an average is 60 days or two months basically and then they're good to go but this one is a lot longer um but then you have some other ones like the uh the whip -a -dip -a -dip -a -dip, what was the little guy the northern bog violet and he doesn't need half as much uh stratification time as his big brother but the flip side to that is these smaller violets take longer to get to a certain size that's kind of deemed safe too like if you're not careful you can get a lot of uh mortality when they're really tiny because they take so long to get to that next bigger step when they're having true leaves and stuff but um but yeah they can uh they can do one quite well once they're established and i totally recommend them for a, a lot of different landscaping purposes because they're such a i know they're just such a happy plant you know and they just... tie in well with lots of other uh lots of other species so you can have, whether it's grasses or whether it's um, other flowers with different textured leaves and colors or uh, whatever it is, they, um, they're a nice family to augment your other plants. So mm -hmm. there you have. And I guess you can look at it a couple of ways. If you want to feed your wildlife and attract wildlife, there are some animals that, that do like eating vi violets. So that's one thing. But if you don't want them to eat your violets, then you might want to surround them by some more protective plants because sometimes rabbits and deer find them yummy. So, but there are definitely ways around it. So you can actually plant them with anemones because anemones are not eaten by many things. So there you go. So that's our violent violets. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>